0: Welcome to Point Two Law Review, I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. We are here the week of November 14th through the week of, no, it's the same week. Let me yeah, try November that four. Yeah, November 14th, uh, 14th 17th. 17th. add three, carry the two. November 14th through the 17th, did I get it right? Yeah, 17th. Oh, and we're man. here on a Friday. It is a Friday. And it's a Friday. Hey. We are turning out the pod. We are, we're getting it done. Look at us, I'm proud of us. Uh, let's see, what did I want to think about? That's for later. I've got exciting stuff for tonight. Oh, did you hear about Joe Burrow? Oh, yeah, Joe Burrow's out. Rest of the season. Yeah. I have a Cincinnati Bengals fan in my house oh, who's going to yes, be very upset you do. about that. Oh, I know. Well, you might as well tell him that,
1: you know, I think the hope sit for this down, season's somebody. gone. Yeah, you got to sit him <laughs> down. <You gotta laughs> Listen, sit him son. Listen as I've I've learned cool. from, as I've learned from many years of watching Nebraska
0: football all hope is gone. Yeah, I need to prepare him for lifelong disappointment. Yeah. If you're going to be a fan of anything you know, you just have to be prepared, except the 1994-1995 Nebraska Cornets. Course. Yeah, I was gonna say.
1: Or, uh, yeah, if you were a Husker fan from the mid Ol- to late 70s all the way to the 90s, you did but okay. But if you're
0: only a fan of
1: those two seasons. <laughs> those two tiers, yeah. Undefeated seasons are great. There's no negative. But if you're there. a fan of a
0: team, you're going to have some downtime.
1: Yeah, you'll have some ups and some downs, some roller coaster. I'm a fan and a big fan, and I, I was able to secure my tickets to the uh, big game on Friday, or today,
0: so... The big of a winning today. team, yeah. Oh, you're going to go to the Yeah, B-ball the Wolverines game. are coming down, so yeah. Are they going to be scouting? Or does volleyball not do that? No, I, well, there
1: could be. Do you think there'll be some Harbaugh lookalikes in the stands, maybe, with their I, binoculars? I mean,
0: the joke is probably three weeks old, but it's still kind of funny to good. me. It's still good. Yeah, it's still a good joke. <laughs> okay. Um, let's start with Ex-Parte Summary. we got an Ex-Parte Summary, which is just you, Carson. What I know, I'm all alone here. So State v. DAP, Circumstantial Evidence. All right, go ahead with State v. DAP from the Nebraska Supreme Court, Carson.
1: All righty, so jumping straight into our one Supreme Court opinion, this is on appeal from the District Court of Hall County, and uh, the case on appeal here is a conviction from a bench trial for uh, possession of a firearm by a prohibited person, and unlawful discharge of a firearm, and then the overruling of a uh, motion for new trial. And so the big issues on appeal are um, circum- the use of circumstantial evidence and uh, lack of evidence to prove the underlying charges here, and then ineffective assistance of counsel. And so the basic facts of this case are that uh, there was a shooting, at an apartment complex in uh, Grand Island. And there was basically one eyewitness, but the problem was it was at night. And so the evidence here is pretty spotty as far as what actually happened and what was seen. And the chief witness here, uh, Ms. Fugate, basically said that uh, she saw the defendant uh, standing outside the apartment after What she believed to have been a couple of shots, um, and that she had something in his, or that he had something in his hand. And the interesting part here is that she testifies that what could have been in his hand could have been a cell phone, it could have been a can of pop, it was dark outside, all she could see that uh, the object was uh, dark and that it flickered in the darkness. There also was a statement by the defendant uh, to another individual that said, next time I won't miss you or next time I will hit you. And that's what she's saying. She heard him say either one of those two things. Um, And so the police come in, they do an investigation, they find a 22 caliber bullet casing, um, and then they go and, and track where. Uh, This bullet landed into an attic. They never actually find uh, the metallic part of the bullet, but they uh, find uh, the hole that it left and basically where it had hit. And so here there was a bench trial, and uh, the court uh, found this individual guilty, DAP guilty, uh, of the possession of a firearm by a prohibited person, and then uh, also of the uh, discharging of a uh, firearm. And so the big issue, again, on appeal was a sufficiency of evidence argument and, and an argument that there was a uh, lack of direct evidence and circumstantial evidence here was not enough uh, to produce Uh, A conviction, And so the first thing we deal with is the possession of the firearm by a prohibited person. And basically here the Supreme Court says uh, that there was enough circumstantial evidence when taken together that supports the conviction. So here we might not have direct evidence uh, to support the conviction, but here there was enough with uh, an eyewitness who was saying that there was something in their hand, uh, the statements made by the defendant, or allegedly made by the defendant, and then also the finding of the shell casing, and then the trajectory of the bullet to believe that that happened. Happened. Then the really kind of interesting argument comes with the unlawful discharge of a firearm. And here we get into some statutory language. And essentially, DAP here is arguing that uh, there should not be enough evidence to convict him of the unlawful discharge of a firearm, because uh, the statute says that is a felony when a person unlawfully and intentionally discharges a firearm at an inhabited dwelling house or occupied building. And here, uh, Dapp is saying that there was no evidence supporting the conviction that a shot was fired at a dwelling. Uh, Here, he argues that the evidence was showing that, uh, if anything, the shots were fired inside of the dwelling. And the Supreme Court basically goes through and says that they don't have to uh, deal with the uh, argument because uh, the second um, or because um, there was enough evidence to show that for one count um, of the offense, there was an unlawful discharge uh, of a firearm and that even though it was... um, or, or there might have been other shots inside the house, there was at least one shot uh, where there was a sufficiency of evidence to demonstrate that a firearm had been fired outside the building and then had um, hit the dwelling unit. But they they choose not to go into the statutory language and actually address uh, the defense's argument here as far as whether or not there was a discharging of a firearm at uh, the dwelling unit, basically saying that, you know, we're not worried about the other two shots that maybe happened inside of this dwelling unit, but there was enough evidence to show that there was at least one shot that happened outside and was at a uh, dwelling unit. And so then they deal with, again, the motion for new trial um, and the state not meeting its burden, um, and they do not find abuse of discretion from the lower court uh, in overruling the motion for new trial. And then the ineffective assistance of counsel arguments, the first one uh, revolved around The failure to communicate and adequately review discovery, and this was with uh, the defendant, so with trial counsel actually conferring with the defendant in this matter, and here they say there's not enough evidence to address this. Uh, There wasn't enough on appeal to actually deal with whether or not this had happened, Um, and then there was an issue with a failure to uh, take depositions and then a failure to um, investigate and to develop more favorable evidence and then um, advice to uh, not testify. And basically they go through each of those and and find that uh, the record was either insufficient or they had failed to sufficiently uh, plead this claim. And then the final argument was that there was a cumulative effect uh, in regards to the ineffective assistance of counsel claim, and uh, they found that 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 doctrine did not apply uh, in this matter, and so therefore uh, they affirmed.
0: All right, let's go to the Court of Appeals. I think you have the first one?
1: Yeah, so I think I get to jump right back in. Great. Oh, a lot of Carson on the I'll uh, waves myself today. again. Yeah, happy days. All right, so we jump straight into State of Nebraska versus uh, Mario Godoy, and this is on appeal from the District Court of uh, Dawson County, uh, Judge Doyle there, and uh, the appeal here is that um, there sh- the District Court erred and failing to uh, suppress evidence uh, in regards to this stop and seizure um, of evidence for uh, the possession of fentanyl with intent to distribute. And here it is incredibly fact heavy. And basically, uh, and I'll try to summarize it as quickly as I can. The reason it's so fact heavy is there's a ton of facts in regards to this actual stop and then seizure of the evidence. And so basically what happens here is that uh, Godoy has a taillight out and is traveling on I-80 a state patrol. uh, Trooper Goodschmidt notices that he has this taillight out, begins uh, following him and tracking him. Uh, He comes up to this vehicle, uh, realizes it is a older uh, BMW, but it has a license plate that starts with a number 8. He corresponds this to being a vehicle that is too old to have a plate that should be associated uh, with a vehicle like that, because apparently he is familiar with California licensing procedures. So Based on that, he decides to pull him Over At that point in time, uh, he begins the interdiction, starts to interview Godoy. Uh, Godoy doesn't speak very good English, and so uh, they have a little bit of a back and forth, but eventually uh, Godoy ends up in Trooper Goodschmidt's car, uh, just sitting in the front seat, and they have a conversation uh, through a translator app. Eventually, Trooper Goodschmidt says, OK, I'm just going to give you a warning for the taillight. They proceed back towards the vehicle. And then Trooper Goodschmidt says, hey, is it OK if we talk to you a little bit more? Begins asking him more questions in regards to his uh, traffic stop, uh, what, where he's going, why he's going there, all those kind of things. And then eventually at approximately uh, 11, 20 p.m., he tells him that uh, he is delaying him. Are detaining him in order to deploy a uh, drug dog. At that point in time, Godoy says uh, that, um, and the, just for clarity on this, there was approximately uh, 25 minutes between uh, him actually stopping him and then him finally saying, OK, I'm going to uh, get a drug dog. At that point, Godoy says that there might the dog might hit because there was marijuana uh, for personal consumption. Um, and even at that point in time, Goodschmidt says, OK, I'm not going to uh, search. Waits for the dog. The dog signals at that point in time. They locate the marijuana, have probable cause, search the rest of the vehicle and find um Several kilograms of uh, fentanyl in a coffee box in the trunk, and so here the court says uh, that, and we went back through this a couple of times earlier in the uh, in earlier podcast episodes. But basically, say they say that this was a first tier uh, police encounter all the way up until the point when there was um, a uh, detention of the. Uh, defendant in order to deploy the drug dog. And at that point, the court found that Goodschmidt had a reasonable, um, articulable facts to support um, the reason to su- reasonable suspicion that a crime was being committed. Um, and he lists those things. And basically, it was the fact that this individual didn't have a uh, driver's license and had an unusual explanation for why he didn't have a driver's license and had other documentation, the vehicle salvage title, uh, his indirect route from Long Beach, California to Atlanta. Um, the fact that he his travel originated from a drug source city, the fact that he was moving across the country with only one suitcase, um, the fact that he, he had opened the suitcase to display its contents without being asked to do so, um, and then the fact that apparently he looked nervous. And so they said that uh, when reviewing those circumstances in totality, it provided a um, sufficient constitutionally valid justification for the stop and the detention. So the Court of Appeals basically walks back through all of this analysis again, and I'm not going to go through it uh, again on this pod, but it's a good opinion for that. It talks about the uh, propositions concerning police and citizens like citizen encounters and basically what takes you from that first tier to the second tier to the third tier approach um, and when basically uh, the standards they have to have to keep you or, or to keep a defendant uh, detained in those circumstances. Um, then they deal with the initial traffic stop and the investigation. Um since there was a light out, the initial traffic stop was good because all you have to have is any uh, violation. And so that part was good. And then basically they agree with the district court that there was a reasonable articulable suspicion uh, to then extend the stop and allow the deployment of uh, the drug dog. Um, and then they go through the probable cause to search and, and a really good opinion. Basically, again, it's a 23 page opinion walking through uh, the constitutional protections and then the uh, facts that were needed in order to overcome those. But eventually the Court of Appeals affirmed.
0: OK, state V. Tim A. Yeah, that's right. Uh, T.M.M.E. Yeah, that's right.
1: T.M.M.E. Tim A.
0: Tim t Let's call Just it go with T-May. It. I, um, so this is a DUI case, a suppression issue. Uh, Mr. T-may was down in the Haymarket area in Lincoln around 11, 20 p.m. Uh, on some evening, and he um, was in and out of his vehicle. A law enforcement officer became suspicious of the vehicle because the brake lights, I guess, went on, and then a couple seconds later went off, and they kept going on and off maybe one or two times, and um, they started watching that vehicle, wondering, and this is the law enforcement officer's uh, statement, wondering if the individual involved needed help, like whether they're having trouble driving. Yeah. And so then um, he kept watching the vehicle, and eventually Time um, approached the officer and asked, What are you doing? And then when the uh, Mr. Time was walking away, they noticed that his uh, gait was odd and he had slurred speech when they asked him um, how, uh, what they were doing. And then they said, do you need help? And he said, no. And then they walked away. Um, they kept watching him and then eventually he got into the vehicle and tried to drive away. And when he tried to drive away, they stopped him for, um, basically being downtown Uh, with slurred speech and other things. And when they approached him, they noticed the odor of an alcoholic beverage and began their stop and then eventually um, tested him and he was like 0.15 something. So the issue here, it was through a stipulated um, bench trial. It was whether the probable cause uh, existed to continue to arrest him. Here the uh, Court of Appeals says, well wait, we don't need probable cause here, we can do it with reasonable suspicion. If law enforcement have reasonable suspicion, um, they can continue to detain a person for that purpose and then initiate further um, you know, investigation as the circumstances warrant. Interestingly, I, I, I knew this, but I guess I, I haven't had it this, like listed out here in this context before, but the nature of the area, so the Haymarket area, because it has bars and restaurants, you can use that as reasonable suspicion to assume that someone, or to presume that someone might be intoxicated because of the nature of the area. So I thought that was interesting, but they found reasonable suspicion here. Uh, they do go through factors similar to yours uh, about the, the tiered stops and what those must, must entail, but this is specific to a DUI investigation. Ultimately, they affirmed uh, the district court who affirmed the county court, and uh, this was affirmed. Okay,
1: so I believe I am up next with Paige versus C-Band, and this is on appeal from the District Court of Lancaster County, on appeal from the County Court of Lancaster County, and basically the issue here is that C-Band had bought a house in 1994, and Lincoln had had various issues with paying um, her loan, and so there had been numerous times where there were uh, default, um, and then... Uh, she would cure the default, and then she'd be in default again, and then would cure the default. Um, and eventually there was a default which she was unable to uh, cure. And at that point in time, there was a trustee sale that was held, and the pages were the successful bidders. And so eventually uh, C-Band files a, uh, a third-party complaint as a result of the pages filing a forcible entry and detainer action against uh, C-Band in Lancaster County Court. And within that uh, third uh, the third-party complaint. There were uh, 11 claims of relief, um, and so there's a ton of things, uh, all the way from uh, set aside the sale and quiet title, breach of contract, breach of implied covenant, ton of things, uh, unjust enrichment, various things that were um, alleged there. Basically, the trial court uh, dismisses various. Uh, parts of that complaint and then um, dismissed it with prejudice in its entirety uh, for failure to state a claim upon uh, which relief could be granted. And so the the good part here, and I guess the value in this case, is that there's a ton of analysis um, on every one of these areas. So this is kind of a uh, just a a plethora of different issues um, from the set-aside sale and conveyance, Um, And then, again, the uh, quiet title breach, a contract breach of implied uh, terms, violations of NDTPA and NCPA, um, and then also the unjust enrichment for homestead rights, unjust enrichment of occupants and claimants, um, and then the final uh, motion to dismiss uh, the fourth amended complaint where... uh, CBAN had tried to allege promissory estoppel, violation of Regulation X, uh, misrepresentation, negligent servicing. Um, And here, again, I'm not going to walk through all of those, but this is a case where they pretty much dealt with at least a little bit of law on every one of those sub areas, and then uh, dealt with the facts that would have uh, essentially needed to have been pled in order to have been successful or to have made a claim here. Uh, CBAN failed to uh, plead that, and so the court of appeals eventually affirmed. But this is one of those cases where, if you have one of those issues, you know it could be an area to go get a law chunk. It dealt with so many different areas uh, that you might be able to to go in there and and pull uh, something that could be valuable. Should you have uh, one of these niche issues.
0: Okay. And if I were to say the word um, or the phrase Kramer versus Kramer to you, would that mean anything? Yeah, that would mean something to me. Like what would it mean to you?
1: I don't know, but it means something to me.
0: <laughs> I mean, it tripped something in my head. <laughs> It was a popular movie, I think, of the eighties with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, okay, and Meryl yeah. Streep. And uh, Kramer versus Kramer Boy, is our Meryl next case. Boy, Meryl Streep—that's digging one way out. Well, hey, uh, that's the uh, next case from our court of appeals as well. It was Kramer versus Kramer. It's a complaint to modify custody, oddly, which is why uh, I made that connection. Yeah, that but, fits beautifully. Um, the mom here was uh, she worked at the. They had this agreement back in 2019 to care for this child, um, kind of where mom would have primary custody. Dad worked for a nuclear power plant and couldn't be more than 45 minutes away from the nuclear power plant. So, they wanted the child to go to school in this uh, area that was beyond the 45 minutes, so mom was awarded primary physical custody. Then At that time, mom worked at an auto parts store. Well now mom is a mechanic for an international race team. I don't know if she's on Las Vegas this weekend or not with the uh, Formula One people, but she might be. Um, And she's a mechanic for an international race team and she's gone I think 42 or something, 52 nights out of the year. And the child is in fourth grade and doing well, has lots of friends and is described as a good, quote, kid. Um, The trial court found that there was a change in circumstances um, that the um, you know the change in job with mom um, was sufficient to have a change in circumstance if the court would have known that at the time it issued the original decision it, it may have modified the parenting plan but here even with that change in circumstances the best interests of the child do not justify modifying the parenting plan again the, the fourth grade child is doing well and there's no reason to really change that the court did admonish the mother that she needs to consider. Apparently, there's some local court rules. I don't practice in that jurisdiction, but apparently, there's some local court rules that, you know, you need to reach out to the other parent for, um, maybe. And again, this is me speculating based on this opinion that there's that you need to reach out to the other parent if you're going to be out of town or something. It seems that that's what they imply in this decision, and that you should talk to dad first. And the, the trial court did admonish mom that uh, she needs to do that, or she might lose, um, you know, some custody later on. The basis for the appeal here was that the modification should not have occurred based on the best interests of the child. And this is what I thought was an interesting argument for judicial efficiency. They're basically saying, hey, eventually mom is not going to uh, follow the court rules and we're gonna have to come back here on a contempt. So you might as well just give us the extra time or give us the, con- um, the you know custody right now. Uh, interesting argument did not work. Um, the court was very specific that um, the purpose of a modification in custody is to uh, be consistent with the child's best interest, not to, quote, avoid unnecessary future litig- litigation, which is um, this court quoting the appellant uh, in their brief. So the um, decision of the district court was affirmed. Okay, next case we come
1: to is May versus uh, Flanders. And this is an appeal from, the, from an order from, from the Nebraska Workers' Compensation Court finding that Richard May had sustained a recurrence of a 2018 work-related injury during the course of his employment with a new employer um, and so that his previous employer was responsible for the payment of past and future medical expenses. And basically what's going on here is that uh, Mr. May had originally been employed Um, with uh, a company that was not related to walmart uh, where he had had an injury um, and had uh, had had a surgery Uh, he then goes to uh, work with walmart in 2018 Uh, he feels or um went, went to work in 2015. Um, in, in 2018, he feels a pop in his elbow. Um, at that point in time, seeks treatment and basically has to have another surgery. Um, uh, continues his employment with Walmart on uh, light duty eventually is released is not having any issues. Um, and then in October, um, His position with Walmart is terminated, and he goes to work uh, in 2019 with uh, Flanders. At that point in time, he's doing okay. Um, He had ceased taking uh, pain medication, but eventually, uh, because of repetitive heavy lifting, he notices an increase in issues in his right uh, elbow. He doesn't. He said that uh, he did not feel a pop like he previously had, but the pain uh, was incredibly worse. And so, uh, basically, uh, here he has. Um some kind of tendonitis um, and issues where it puts him on a uh, lifting restriction. And so there's a ton of debate that goes back and forth between where this injury is sustained. Uh, There's expert testimony in regards to uh, the doctors. And basically uh, what it comes back to after the workers' compensation uh, court is able to evaluate this is that um, he Uh, was not able to show that he had sustained an injury while he was employed by Flanders and that this looked like a recurrence of a prior work-related injury uh, from that April 2018 incident with Walmart, and so therefore Walmart was responsible for the payment of uh, May's medical expenses. And there's a ton of uh, good law chunks in here in regards to uh, expert opinions uh, on causation and and issues like that if you're someone who practices in the workers' compensation uh, world uh, also tons of uh, law chunks in regards to reoccurrence of injuries um, and what it takes to demonstrate that. And then uh, there were some issues in regards to the past medical expenses. The interesting piece here that I, I kind of found was the fact that there was a lot of conflicting evidence um, and a lot of different opinions that had uh had differing results um, and ca- had come to different conclusions. And basically, here, what the Court of Appeals says is that uh, they're not going to be the ones who reweigh uh, the. Uh, factual issues um, and you know finding the truth of of where that actually lies, and so basically once when you're doing that, um, you're you're deferring to the court of appeals as they were the fact finder and the trial court, and so here they they could not find uh, that the expenses that were occurred were attributable were attributable to uh, Flanders versus Walmart, and so therefore uh, they affirmed the decision of the workers' compensation court.
0: All right, State v. Isaacson, this is the final opinion from the Nebraska Court of Appeals. Ms. Isaacson was convicted of two counts of possession of a controlled substance. One was methamphetamine, one was oxycodone. Um, a, she, the basis for this appeal, it was a stipulated bench trial, but the basis for appeal was a um, warrant that was issued on the House <clears throat> and stating that it lacked probable cause. The basis for the um, warrant that they claim lacked probable cause and was insufficient was based on a uh, statement, a series of statements from a confidential informant. The confidential informant indicated to law enforcement there were some burglaries in denton nebraska that resulted in some stolen coins a lot of stolen coins and so they um this confidential informant said hey these two fellas are the ones who were involved in the burglaries and the and the theft of the coins and the confidential informant said that the they saw the coins in the defendant's possession not only did they see the coins in the defendant's possession the confidential informant had Um, photographs of the coins uh, in the defendant's possession. Now, those photographs were actually taken at the confidential informant's house, not at the uh, house of the defendant. But the confidential informant indicated that the um, property that the defendant stayed at was often used to house um, stolen property And also used to house people uh, who needed a place to stay for short periods and was often paid in cash or through drugs and that was the defendant's property so that was the basis basically for the search warrant the search warrant was obtained um, because the property was allegedly stored at the um, Isaacson's place and the um, search resulted in finding a pill bottle with some oxycodone in it that was in a prescription pill bottle that did not, the prescription had a different name than Ms. Isaacson, and some methamphetamine. So the challenge was, the basically only one, but uh, stated as three, the reliability of the informant was number one. We have nothing that shows that this confidential informant was reliable. Second, uh, there was a lack of probable cause, uh, and third, that the warrant uh, had material omissions. If you're going to go look for coins, you can't go in, in, in that belong to these other people. You shouldn't be able to go to this person's bedroom. It was a general warrant and it, it didn't have that information. So if you have something with a confidential informant and you say, Hey, this confidential informant may not be reliable. There's a re- actually a really good law chunk in here about what needs, uh, to be demonstrated in order to show that the, um, confidential informant was reliable and so there's good things there there's a good information regarding the um, affidavit in order to establish probable cause to search the home ultimately here the court found that there um, that the confidential informant was reliable and the district court um, denied the motion to suppress and the court of appeals here affirmed is that it hey that's it okay we've so, reached the end yeah I have a question though yeah so there's some debate going on on, you know, legal – can I still call it Twitter? I'm going to – on legal Twitter. On and, Legal X. On Legal, yeah, A- yeah, Ugh, yeah. That, that yeah, legal X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's horrible. Yeah, Legal X. <laughs> Let's call it Legal Twitter. Legal X. Um, so there's these – and it's, this has been going on for 20 years or so. Every now and then there's judicial opinions that get kind of cute, and um, sometimes they have footnotes that cite um, – I don't know, what, what, like popular music or something like that. Yeah. And there was a decision out of the uh, Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit from uh, Judge Jerry Smith. And this was a case involving the uh, ADA. And the first fo- uh, footnote here is, uh, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo. And that's the f- footnote here. And uh, the citation is, she does not get a second bite at the apple. Wow. So they were waxing lyrically in that opinion. yeah, Quite literally. And I kind of want to know where you stand on that.
1: Are you pro-cute? Dan? Nah, I mean, I can't... Well, I don't know. No, I can't say I'm probably pro-cute, but I, I appreciate the
0: reference. I uh, I don't know. I I have a tough time with it. I think people... These are serious things, people. Yes, they are very serious things. And if you want to do that in a brief, I, I feel
1: like that's one thing. But when you're the judge doing the opinion, yeah. I, I feel like that's when
0: you can't. I guess if it was somewhat fun, maybe you could do it. Like yeah. if it was a fun case. But I think that's so rare. Well,
1: and I also think it's very interesting to uh, use a quote from and Eminem song. Because sure. now we're doing Yeah. Uh, that, just because of his divisive nature, especially with the court system and throughout his uh, career, yeah. and, and the way that you know he he um, I guess has divided people and and the perception of him. Very interesting to use a, a lyric from Eminem. Yeah, that's a that's a rough one.
0: You know, that Snoop gave up weed. I did see that <laughs> Snoop gave <laughs> yeah. up weed. He gave up weed yesterday, and um, he went from the the title of his book I think is something like "From Crook to." from crook to cook so he's a chef now yeah i that man was went on trial for murder for murder yeah and then he's, hanging out, with Mar- the yeah. and then he's
1: hanging out with martha stewart
0: what a, what an arc of I that know. man's life ah just yeah who's gonna play him in the biopic
1: oh i don't know that's a good question we gotta figure it we'll out have to figure that one out um also the other thing i want you to unpack and and uh carry home is yes. uh for next week, uh, think about your top five concession foods. You know how I like oh, to rank yeah. things. Okay, we'll do uh, that. The real reason I'm going to Link the Night is to get a uh, Fairberry hot dog. So you know that that'll end on my top five. But I want
0: you to think about your top five. Well, it's got to be a good one. Can't yeah. be from the. Uh but it can't, It's got to be from the right place. Yeah, and I think yeah, your environment is going to be long. good. I hope I hope you go see a good game. I know you're probably on your way Thank out of you. here. I appreciate it. But next week's Turkey Day. It is and, Turkey uh, Day. And I think we'll probably be recording on Wednesday. Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah. I got to cook a little bit. You have so. to cook, really? Okay. Yeah, I do yeah. that. I do actually this time, too. So. Okay. Well, maybe we'll do it. Well, I guess it depends on when the opinion comes out. You think it'll be in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it'll be on Turkey Day. Okay. We're rambling. Anyway, um, this song here is called Gratitude. Which I think should be the Thanksgiving song. Yeah. So we'll leave it on that. This is Point Two Law Review, brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Offices in Minden, Holdridge, and Kearney. I'm John Brandt. Have a great weekend. Carson Master Smith. Thanks, everybody.